the thing that was a terrible investment was that I didn't really understand what I was buying. And I don't just mean the course itself, but I didn't understand whether or not or how having an email list could really help me. I didn't know enough about marketing. So I was basically buying a tool for my tool belt when I didn't know how to build things yet. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'll be your worst podcast host for the day. And I'm here with featured guest Gillian Perkins. Gillian, are you ready to rock? I am. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, we are very pleased to have you on. Well, let me introduce you to the audience. Gillian Perkins is the founder of Startup Society and the host of the Earn More, Work Less podcast. I know my listeners love that already. <laughs> She's also, also hosts a popular entrepreneurship-focused YouTube channel that has received over 20 million million views to date. Gillian teaches people how to start and build profitable online businesses that allow them to earn passive income and live a flexible lifestyle. She runs her company with a primarily remote team, enabling her to travel the world, well, at least before COVID, with her <laughs> family and homeschool her four young children. That is probably the shortest bio I've gone through with the most power packed in it. Gillian, take a moment and fill in some tidbits about your life. Well, I mean, like you said, I've packed a lot into that little bio. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for the, the warm welcome and for having me on this show today. I had an investment immediately pop into my head when you reached out to me about the show. And I thought this is a story that needs to be told. So I'm really happy to be here today. As you just mentioned, I have four little kids, the youngest of which is about three months old right now. So she's a new one. And I've just been navigating, just figuring out how to run my online business with you know so many little kids at home and balancing that. It is a constant balancing act, but I'm learning more every day about how to do it. And I recently started the podcast you mentioned. I say recently, it feels very recent to me. It's been almost a year now, but I still feel like a newbie in that arena, but it's going well. And I've been enjoying being a podcaster myself. I started that YouTube channel that you mentioned about three years ago now, and it was my second YouTube channel. My first one, I started about five or six years ago and it did not do so well. I learned some things from that first YouTube channel, but yeah, it just did not take off, did not grow. I mostly learned a lot of things not to do. So then three years ago, I started the YouTube channel I run today with a lot more knowledge under my belt. And it was pretty much a success from the start only because of, you know, everything I'd learned from the past, but I'd, I reached my first thousand subscribers in about three months. And then I hit 2000 a month after that and 4,000 a month after that and 8,000 a month after that. And from there, it just kept snowballing and growing by about 10,000 subscribers a month. And it hasn't slowed down yet. So it's been an incredible journey so far. It is the number one thing that fuels my business and drives new customers to my business. Definitely a fantastic way to get visibility. We can talk more about that yep. later yep. on if you mm. want to. Yep. But yeah, I spend my working time running my YouTube channel and teaching other people how to start online businesses and the things that have worked for me and our clients. And then that only occupies about four hours of my day. I spend the rest of my day, like you said, homeschooling my kids, taking care of my house and all those normal mom things. Super mom, super mom. 
ladies and gentlemen, you know, if you want to catch up with Gillian on the podcast, I recommend that you listen to episode 36. That's the one I just listened to. And that one's called Five Reasons You Aren't Making Any Money Online. <laughs> and uh, I was just listening to that recently and it's, uh, you know, great advice in there. I thought, you know, right, right to the point. And so I appreciated that one. But let me just ask you, I mean, I know, yeah, I, I want to ask you because there's a lot of listeners out there that are super busy, super busy. Everybody's, oh, yeah. everybody's Everybody. busy, you know, and, and that they just gotta be wondering, you know, how can you do all this? I mean, it's one thing to send kids to school in the morning, pick them up in the afternoon, take them to activities after, but to homeschool your kids and do all of this, what's the key, you know, what's the key advice that you would give people to manage their life the way you do? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it starts with just knowing your priorities, right? You have to know what's important to you because most people fit a lot of things into their day. It might be social media and, you know, and going to a job, or it might be homeschooling their kids and running a business, you know, but we all have the same number of hours in a day and we all fill those hours with different things. So knowing what your priorities are, because you really do have enough hours in your day to do several different significant things every week, you know whatever those things might be. You just have to know what they are so that you can prioritize them. Second thing I would say, write, a, write down a plan because if you can't make it work on paper, it's not going to work in real life when stuff gets crazy and you know life happens. So try to figure out how you're going to fit those things together in paper, but leave lots of breathing room. That is so key because life happens. Mm. And from there, you know, just be flexible. And oh, one more thing. And that is you know, making sure that you really are focused on that, like the 80-20 principle. And so yeah. for each of the different things you're trying to accomplish, that you aren't wasting time on busy work, right? Because if I was running my business, you know, spending the eight or 12 hours a day running my business that a lot of people spend, that would not be possible. It's only mm. possible because I run my business in four hours a day because I just focus on the most important things that have the biggest impact. Now, sure, I could do more. I could grow my business faster if I did spend eight or 12 hours, but it wouldn't be you know two or three times as big or as fast because the more you work, the, the more you move into that 80% or the 20% of things that have, you know what I mean? I don't know what I'm trying to impact. say. Yes. 20% the, of the things. The 80% of the things that have the 20% of the impact. So you're getting fewer and smaller and smaller gains, smaller and smaller returns there on your time. But also we are human, right? And we lose energy and we lose focus as we work longer. So the first couple hours that you're working on something, you're going to be the most productive, have the biggest impact. And as you continue to work, you're getting less and less results for every minute you spend. So just being aware of that and then figuring out how much time you want to spend on something and having peace with the results you can create in that time. Uh, that's a lot of great advice. And, you know, the idea of having a plan, being flexible, focusing in, I think, you know, one of the things that I would take away from this is that there's another guest that I interviewed, Brandon Gailey, and he had an illness that required him to sleep 12 hours a night. He could not sleep less than that, or he would be, you know, in trouble. And so in the end, he realized he could only work three hours a day, you know, whatever that number was, that was it. And it really helps you refocus. And with your description of what you're talking about, about maybe four hours, about having the pressures of the kids and all that, it really does force you to focus. Mm -hmm. And I think for the listeners out there that are working full-time jobs and out there, what we tend to do is we tend to fill our day with busy stuff. Yeah, that's called Parkinson's law, right? Yeah. You know, like work expands to fill the time that is allowed for it. 
So I think that the, my biggest takeaway from what I'm learning from you already is the idea that we need to focus on our highest value activities and figure out how we can spend a focused time on those. Maybe I can ask you one other question because you know, you've, you've got such expertise in the space of YouTube. And I know that there's a lot of listeners out there like, oh, I want to do YouTube. Or, and some people say, oh, I don't know if it's worth it. You know, and what does it take anyways? And I myself often have questions about that. But from what you've learned from your experiences with YouTube, what, what advice or what, what message would you tell the listeners about YouTube? Well, I think a lot of people think that they would like to be a YouTuber or be on YouTube, share their business on YouTube, something like that, but they think they missed the boat. I know I thought I missed the boat five or six years ago when I started that first channel. I definitely thought I missed the boat three years ago when I started the channel I have today. And people tell me every single day, am I too late? You know, that's mm -hmm. the question they ask me. And the answer is no, you are not too late. It is not it. too late at all. There are new people finding the platform every day. People's interests change. People get tired of one channel and are looking for something new to watch. There is never a time when I have found a new interesting channel on YouTube and said, oh, I'm not going to subscribe to that channel because I'm already subscribed to a lot of good channels. You know, you mm. find new good content and you're there for it, you know, yeah. because like I said, your interests are changing. You're looking for fresh content. And the cool thing is that that means that the platform is ever growing, ever expanding and people get tired even for existing YouTubers. This doesn't mean that you start a YouTube channel and it's going to die necessarily. It means that people are watching one channel today and they're going to watch a different channel tomorrow. And so the tables are always turning and there's always going to be that opportunity there. And it is such an incredible opportunity. It's the, the number one driver of new customers into my business, as I mentioned earlier. And as I mentioned to you earlier, before we got started on this interview, it's a way that you can get paid to market your business. It's like someone's paying you to put an ad on TV and, you know, advertisements on TV are incredibly expensive, but instead you can make fun advertisements, get customers in the process and get paid to do it. I make a full-time living wage just from the ad revenue for my YouTube channel alone, plus a whole lot more from the, the work that it sends my way. Fantastic. And for the listeners out there, you know, the YouTube is Gillian Perkins online or just type in Gillian Perkins and also we'll have a link in the show notes. But my last question about YouTube then, so I, I got the message and you just got me so darn excited to think there's still opportunity. And the idea that you just said of the fact that, you know, it's, you get paid to promote your business is kind of a breakthrough in my thinking that I didn't really think about. But I also just want to ask about, I'm, I'm looking at your YouTube channel right now and I'm looking at, you know, a day in the life of a six figure online entrepreneur, how to hire a video editor, how to start a YouTube channel, step-by-step step, 12 highest paying work at home jobs, how to self publish. You've done a lot of these. Now I'm seeing that they're averaging, let's say from 10, to 20, you know, maybe the longest one you've got is maybe 25. But I look at these and I think, you know, you definitely invested a lot of time in each one of these. Maybe you could just give some advice from a content perspective. So someone says, okay, you've convinced me to say, I got to do a, a YouTube channel. What should I know about content? Could you clarify your question a little further? What yep, do you mean? What sure. should it, like, so, do you so, mean how long should the content be or about creating the content? I, or? I would say that the, the question is, how do you create content that is attractive? 
to do. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's one of the number one things people miss really when they think I want to be a YouTuber or I want to use YouTube in some way. They think that all they need to do is create a YouTube channel and make some videos, you know, maybe make some videos related to their business if they're going to use it in that way. But they kind of miss how important content strategy is. Not that it needs to be terribly complex, but it needs to take some thinking. You need to put, yeah, some thought into it, do some keyword research to figure out which topics will attract the right customers and which topics are popular enough that they're going to get views. Because if it's not a popular enough topic, then there won't be enough interest. You won't get enough views. You're not going to attract any customers. So that's a very important consideration. And then the second part of it is really making quality videos. And I wish I had a better word to use for this. I, I do mean quality, but I think sometimes when you say quality or high quality videos, people think, oh, do I need a fancy studio and an expensive camera and, you know, to hire some videographers to help me? And all those things can help, but that's not really what makes quality content. I mean, think about what you think of if someone's like, oh, that's quality content. What would someone mean if they said that? They would probably mean it was entertaining, right? Mm. And that's really what it comes down to. Entertaining doesn't necessarily mean funny at all, but it does mean it has to grab people's interest and keep people's interest. So that means that it is relatively fast paced most of the time. You know, sometimes you've got some nice laid back sort of content, but most of the time stuff is happening. You're not boring people. There is one main focus for the video that is clear so people know what the value they're going to get out of the video is, whether that value is simply entertainment, you know, they're just there for a good time, or if maybe that value is something helpful or educational to them, but they need to un be able to understand at least subconsciously what that purpose for the video is so that they have a reason to keep on watching. And so it's about having, you know, a well thought out video that is delivering some sort of value and then producing it well so that it's enjoyable to watch. That's, you know, you make me think about the different video channels that I'm subscribed to and they really revolve around a person. I think about a guy like a guy I particularly follow called Aaron Mate. And Aaron is a guy that is just a really level-headed journalist that likes to look at both sides of an argument. And that's why I go to his channel. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not even who he's interviewing or what he's talking about. It's the fact that he looks at both sides that keeps me coming back. So I think that that, that's a great lesson for all of us to say, if we're going to get on YouTube, you know, think about the value that you bring and, and how do you represent that value so that the listener, the follower, the viewer is basically saying, I want to come back to get that value. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want people to be misled at all, though. I, I feel like the way I explained it, it might sound like I'm saying you have to put a whole lot of thought into this and execute it really well. I mean, there are lots of people who make very casual videos and do very well. You just have to kind of figure out your value proposition and what style of videos you're going to make and then produce that style of video consistently. And consistency really is so key on YouTube. A lot of people say it's because the algorithm likes it when you're consistent. That's actually a myth, though. The algorithm doesn't really care about consistency. The algorithm cares how people respond respond to your content. And when people consistently see your videos pop up, then they know what to expect from your channel. And you kind of train your viewers to click on your content because they know it's going to be good. And so then that tells the algorithm that people really like your content. So consistency 
is important for that reason. It's also important as a creator because when you create content consistently, then you become a better creator. You learn how to make better videos and that attracts new subscribers to your channel as well. That's a great point to end it on. So ladies and gentlemen, if you want to start in YouTube, maybe the idea is to see it as training. Video number one, it's a wreck but what the heck, get it up there. Video number two, okay, now you've fixed your lighting. Video number three, now you've gotten your hook that you hook people in yes. right at the beginning. Video number four, you fix your microphone. Video number five, you realize that you've got to end with a great call to action. You know, it's like, it's yeah, exactly. actually, it's training. <laughs> and that is a great way to think about it. And I think if more people went into it with that mindset, then a lot more people would be successful with their YouTube channels because so often people go into it just about, you know, what's in it for me, you know, how quickly can this turn into a success? How can I get people's attention? And they're not even thinking about how they can personally grow through the process. I think even experienced YouTubers often miss out that very important part. And so when they don't get those results that they're looking for in the first few weeks or first few months, then they call it quits, you know, and they don't stick around to see what it can turn into. But if instead they went into it, what can I learn from this? And they worked on improving, you know, improving those individual aspects of the video, like you were mentioning, but also working on improving their ability as a speaker, their knowledge and how they are sharing and teaching people. And also, you know, understanding all sorts of other aspects of marketing, then there's just so much room as with so many things in life. There's so much room there for growth and so much that can be learned from it. Beautiful. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we don't normally go into this much discussion about <laughs> business before we get into the worst investment ever story, but there was just so much that I had that I wanted to ask. So I appreciate you taking the time, but now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, I thought this was going to be my best investment ever. <laughs> you know, that's always the case, right? I'm sure that's always the case. Because if it's your worst investment, then you probably put a lot on the line for it, right? So, and that was because Absolutely. you thought it would be really good. So anyway, my worst investment happened a few years back when I was first working on starting my online business. At the time, I was running a local business. And I wanted some more flexibility, some more freedom. And I thought, you know, online business, that's the way to go. I had read the four-hour work week. I was set. And so I started tinkering around, created a little website for myself and got heavy into that online marketing world. <laughs> and anyone who has dipped their toes into the online marketing world knows all about the webinars and all the money that you can spend on the webinars. <laughs> and so this was one of the first webinars I think I watched, not the first one, but one of the first ones. And if you've watched very many webinars, you know that you can make anything sound very appealing and very useful and very just needed. So I'm trying to grow my online business and I watch this webinar about growing your email list. And if you grow your email list, did you know that you have a machine that can produce cash at any point in time? You can just tell your email list about whatever you're selling and they will buy it with no questions asked. And you basically can print cash. Have just you heard print, of that? Press a button, write a couple yeah, lines, yeah, press a button. You, yep. You click that button and cash. That's it. So I learned this and I thought that sounds pretty good. And specifically, I already knew that I wanted to sell online courses. I am a teacher at heart. My online 
in my local business, I was a music teacher and I'd been doing that for quite a few years leading up to that. So I knew that teaching was something I was comfortable doing. And there was certainly plenty of topics that I, I'm a student myself as well. I love learning things. So I thought, you know, this is a good fit for me. I can learn things. I can share them with people and I can support my family doing that. But even if I wasn't going to sell courses with that email list, I could sell anything. So, <laughs> so I was pretty much sold on that idea. Now this course cost $2,000 and at this time I was really living paycheck to paycheck. Running a local business is no joke. Your overhead's going to be pretty high most of the time and mine certainly was. So I was making just enough to support my family with that and I had very little cash left over. So I honestly don't remember if I happened to somehow have $2,000 at this point in time, or if I put it on the credit card, I'm betting I put it on the credit card or at least part of it. But regardless, I spent $2,000 that I basically didn't have because this sounded like a really good, just a helpful thing to have in my business, you know, to build this asset for my business. So I bought the course and it was an okay course. That wasn't the thing about it. That was a terrible investment. The thing that was a terrible investment was that I didn't really understand what I was buying. And I don't just mean the course itself, but I didn't understand whether or not or how having an email list could really help me. I didn't know enough about marketing. So I was basically buying a tool for my tool belt when I didn't know how to build things yet. And so, I mean, imagine going into a hardware store and thinking I want to build a house and just spending a bunch of money on some tools when you don't really understand the process of building a house yet. And that was basically what I did. And there were, you know, many other things that could have helped me far more when I was in those early phases of growing my business, but I didn't have the cash for them because I invested this big chunk up front into growing my email list. And so, I mean, long story short, what happened with the course itself was it was an all right course. It wasn't a great course by any means. It threw at me a lot of tactics for mostly how to optimize my list growth, I would say more than anything. So like things to change about your website so that you converted more of your traffic into email subscribers, which are, were tactics that very well might work, except that I had no website traffic in the first place. So my big problem was that I had no visibility for my business. And this leads us back to YouTube, of course, because today I have plenty of visibility for my business. And that's because of YouTube. But back then, nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew about my business. Nobody knew about the products that I offered. And something I say all the time today is nobody can buy your product if they don't know it exists. So I really had a visibility problem, but I didn't realize it because I didn't know enough about online business. And so I bought this course and it told me how to increase my conversion rates basically, but I had no one to convert. And when, let me ask you, was there, what was the point in time when you just thought, oh man, I shouldn't have done this or, oh, this oh, is not what I I thought. mean, you spend $2,000 on anything and you're going to have some buyer's remorse pretty quick, I think. So yeah, I would say of probably within the first couple weeks of getting into this course and trying to implement it, I thought, oh no, what have I done? But I had a little bit of faith and I kept charging through it and for several months before I just realized this really wasn't working. Oh, and I guess the punchline to this story is a year later, I had a grand total of less than 800 email subscribers when this course had promised that I would grow a list of 10,000 email subscribers. So it really didn't live up to its promise. But again, it wasn't so much because the course was bad. It was just because it was completely the wrong tool for me at that time. But then, so that was a, a few years ago. Then I started my YouTube channel with still around a thousand people, maybe on my email mm -hmm. list, probably even less than that. And in the last three years of just having my YouTube channel, I've gone from a thousand email subscribers to we're about to hit a hundred thousand email subscribers. And it has nothing to do with the 
you know, 27 conversion tactics, you know, tactics for increasing my conversion rates. It has to do with getting more traffic and learning more about marketing. But as far as the tactics or the tricks go, I mean, growing your email list is pretty straightforward. <laughs> mm -hmm. So tell us what lessons did you learn from this experience? Hmm. I would say to, and this is a, just an, something I've learned over and over again, whenever I've spent a chunk of money, I would say is that I tend to commit too fast. I tend to sign up for things without fully understanding what I'm getting into. And it's because I think I have a little bit of a scarcity mindset sometimes when I think, you know, like, oh, I need it now. You know, there's not going to be another opportunity there. So I've done this when I bought a house. I've done it just when I've made a lot of investments where I thought, oh, I want it now. And I was impatient. I was maybe a little bit greedy and I just wanted to, you know, to move forward and not wait. And so I think that the first lesson would probably just be pay you know, mm -hmm. take it slow, take it easy, keep doing some research. You don't need to buy now. There will be another opportunity. Great, great. So let me share some of the things that I take away from this. I think one of the things that, you know, your, your analogy of the going to the hardware store and buying tools to build a house. And it's like, this hammer doesn't build a house. I just can't, <laughs> you know, it's like, how do we, the lesson that I take away from this is that we really need big picture view you know, like, and it goes back to something that you said in the beginning of the podcast of the idea of planning, you know, like any business is a series of processes, whether that's acquiring a client, acquiring a prospect, whether that's following up, whether that's delivering on that. And sometimes we get really excited about one part of that process, but we can't deny there's a sales process, there's an operations process, there's a marketing process, there's a finance process, you know, like, and when you decide to do your own business, you have to realize that you have to do all of those. It can't just be one part of it. And the second thing that I took away was the idea of, you know, and you started it by talking about the power of webinars. And, you know, there's some very persuasive people and webinars can be a very <laughs> persuasive medium. And so what happens is that they appeal to your emotion and they appeal for your desire for results and they can do, you know, I listened to a webinar a while ago and the two guys on it were like masters, masters at manipulation basically. And yes. you know, they weren't, they weren't ripping people off, but you could just at every turn they were, they were reinforcing that this is a good decision. Here's why. And all of that. And it's very hard for any of us, to not get excited that, you know, and what does this teach us? You know, we want an outcome. And if somebody can try to convince us that, that they can help us get to that outcome, we value that. And so I think it's a, it's a lesson to be careful when you're listening to people and, you know, step back and don't let your emotions go out of control. But it's another thing. Also, it's a lesson of, you know, how clearly are you communicating your value? How clearly are you getting people excited about the outcome that you can bring to them? And the last thing I would say is that I just tell the story about when I used to work in an investment bank and I was the head of research and I'm a very methodical guy, step by step, let's make a plan, you know, and, and those, those skills got me to become a leading analyst and a leading head of research. But I work with a guy in sales department, he was the head of sales and, you know, he was just the exact opposite the exact opposite. 
the operations, having, having anything behind what he was saying was not nearly as important as grabbing the attention of the client and getting the money out of that client's pocket into this idea. You know, everything below that was just not so much of an issue for him. And in the end, he won. In the end, he got the clients. In the end, the clients liked him more. They appreciated my methodical thing, but they needed to take action and he provided that to them. So it's the third takeaway. So the first one is the big picture and understanding the big picture and what, how that fits in before you go and buy a tool. The second thing is be careful of the emotional appeal, but also understand that you can use that and bring value to people. And then the last one is just the fact that, you know, it's easy to sit back and look at someone pitching something on the internet as an example and go, Oh yeah, that's just all fluff. But trust me, you know, it is not all about getting the perfect product and the perfect delivery that mm -hmm. is, it doesn't always win. So those are some of the things that I take away. Anything you'd add to that? Well, I would just say about that last point that you made there about the story between you and this other banker, that there is this popular figure in the online marketing world who I I won't name because this isn't going to sound the most flattering, but I don't think he means this in a bad way, but he talks about how he is very, he loves the process of marketing and he hates the process of delivering the product to customer. Now he happens to deliver a pretty good product to his customer, you know, cause he's a, a pretty upstanding guy, but he doesn't really like that part. And so I just think that there is a lot to be said for just exactly that point that you were making there to where, you know, sometimes, you know, just moving forward, taking action is really the most important part. And, you don't have to have all your ducks in a row before you do move forward. Yeah. I mean, and the other option is that you don't have to sell your course at $2,000 in the beginning. You can yeah. sell it cheaper knowing that, Hey, I know I don't have all the pieces of this together, but I'm going to build it. And the people who get in now are going to get a lower price, but I'm going to build into that price. So, yes. all right. Based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I would say be patient and do your research and know that there's going to be another opportunity out there. Patience, patience. That comes up a lot here in this discussion. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I run a membership program called Startup Society that teaches people how to start online businesses. And we started this program about two years ago and we've been slowly growing it. We have a few hundred members in there right now, but my goal is to grow it to a thousand members. I'm really passionate about just sharing this opportunity with as many people as possible. Building an online business has changed my life for the better. I'm able to work from home doing something that I honestly love so much and homeschool my kids and travel. And it's all because I, you know, took action like we we're talking about and started my online business. And it took me a lot of, I'll say blood, sweat and tears, a lot of hours of Googling to figure out how to do it. A lot of money spent on webinars only to find out that I hadn't bought quite the right thing. So I created Startup Society to teach people the basics of starting an online business at a really affordable price. And so it's something I'm really passionate about. And I just want to share it with more people. That's exciting. So for the listener out there who says that's exactly what I need and I like the way that you talk, can you do two things? First is just tell them briefly about what they would get if they sign up and join in that. I'm interested too, number one. And number two, how would they do that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. So it's called Startup Society and they can find out more by going to startupsociety.com. And basically what it is, is each month we offer the members an action plan and the action plan is kind of like a mini stripped down course. So it's a course without all the fluff, without the bloated price tag and the too much information, but instead it gets right to just the action oriented items. What do you need to do in order to create a specific result? So for example, one month we might guide the members to grow their email list, or we might help them set up their website, or we might help them launch their YouTube channel or create a digital product or launch that digital product, hire their first employee. But we break it down into just these four really simple lessons, 12 action steps total every month so that people can actually make real significant and measurable progress in their business every single month with investing just a couple of hours per week. So we just are really pulling out all the fluff and then charging a really reasonable rate for that information. That's exciting. So listeners, there you have it. Go to startupsociety.com and check it out. I think it's very interesting. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. So listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Gillian, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones. And I say brave because when I ask most people to come on the show, they say, no, Andrew, I'd prefer to talk about my winners. So I wanna congratulate you for having turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I'll just reiterate what I said before, be patient, there's gonna be another opportunity. And thank you so much for having me on the show a major theme of the show, patience. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well. Fellow risk takers, this is Andrew Stotts, your worst podcast host, saying I'll see you on the upside.